Doug. This is Jacob. And you're listening to Best Worst Podcast. Number 30. Sponsored by Pantograph Punch this time. Hey, thank you, Pantograph. Um, yes, uh, we're here to cover the highlights, our, our personal uh, picks uh, for the New Zealand Film Festival, which the Pantograph Punch is uh, going hard out and covering yeah, this year. Yeah. Um, we'll both be reviewing a bunch of films and writing about it, and um, I'm proud to note that Pantograph Punch is sponsoring a film as well, Tony yeah. Erdman, which, uh, which looks to be a fantastic film. It's getting a lot of buzz out of Khan and um, yeah, uh, female filmmaker Marinade, and it just looks really, yeah. really, really good. Yeah, anyone who saw Marinade's film, uh, Sorry, Everyone Marinade. Else, <laughs> um, I think Marinade, um, I guess I should, <laughs> that's part of the joy for new, new listeners is who don't research our foreign names, and, uh, <laughs> so, you know, but you'll be able to figure us out, I think, for the most yeah. part. Um, we've been watching a bunch of stuff, but this is actually um, picks from each of us that ha- won't be making our reviews or our other writings for the site. Um, there's plenty of great films that we've uh, listed as picks already on the site or that we'll be reviewing. Yeah. But um, we just want to focus on, on some of the deeper cuts yeah. in well, the uh, program. There are always so many films that you'd love to see um, and that you want to highlight. Uh, and so, yeah, we decided that we wanted to highlight a few things that uh, we otherwise wouldn't have got a chance to mention, um, but might appeal to you more. So, yeah. into it. Cool. Well, um, I think you're going to start. So you're, you're starting straight at home, as I understand. Yes, yes. So one of the things that I... Um, I haven't managed in the last couple of years, but I used to do every year, and I'm quite keen to, to get back into it again this year, is, is uh, visiting the New Zealand shorts. Um, yeah. So this year, a couple of programs, we've got New Zealand's Best, so that's the the competition uh, that's sponsored by Madman, um, and these are the, the top six picks out of, out of uh, that bunch that were submitted. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's uh, an interesting mix of, uh, of both um, male and female film- filmmakers um, doing little picks... Um, about all kinds of different things. Um, the the titles in that one are, are Spring Jam, which is appears to be about a a deer, a young deer. Um, there's uh, one called Cradle, looks like a bit of a sci-fi film. Um, right. There's one an animated one called uh, Schmeet, which is uh, sort of a dystopian future um, and trying to find new food food sources, and hence Schmeet sounds yeah. like a bizarre kind of. Meat mix, yeah, um, soylent green or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yes, um, there's there's uh, one called Judgment Tavern, which is by Dean Hewison, who people might recognise his name. Uh, won the 2011 Make My Movie competition that Ant Timpson and Co ran, uh, and out of that came a feature How to Meet Girls from a Distance. So he's yep. he's got a short called Judgment Tavern, which is uh, kind of a period fantasy kind of um, feature about a, a a girl travelling with her father's disembodied head. Um, yeah, right. and and another one called the King, and this is a program that's um, is it chosen by Lee Tamahori this year? Is it right because they have a guest um, judge each yeah, year? I know yeah, who's yeah. Um, helped select uh, the films. Well, I, I think, think there's yeah. a jury of three, um, and uh, Lee Tamahori yeah cut down the selection to these six years. So okay, so it's uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, if you have anything like Lee Tamahori's tastes in particular, it sounds like yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good year to check it out. Yep, and the other the other film shorts collection uh, that we've got going locally is um, the Ngāwhanaunga Māori and Pacifica shorts. Um, and so this year it's got a range of not just Māori but uh, shorts from various Pacific nations. So there's there's a Tahitian story, um, but that's actually directed by Timueta Morrison. Oh right, um, and okay. it's called The Lost Pearl. Lost Pearl, and um, that's about a, a young guy trying to rediscover his roots in Tahiti. Um, there's an, another Maori one uh, by uh, female uh, partnership um, with some names you might recognise out of um, 
out of Tuhoi, um, around Lake Waikaramoana, and that's by um, Karadaina Rangiho, and that's Ukaipo, Ukaipo Whenua, um, and it's produced by Hineani Melbourne, who's a name that um, people who have had their sort of antenna up for Māori filmmaking might recognise. There's a, the Chief's Speech, which is a speech by Chief uh, Talimatua, um, who is from the Rotuman Islands um, near Fiji, okay. um, to the United Nations about how climate change is affecting their islands. Um, and there's another Māori one by a chap called um, Todd Karehana, um, which is about uh, two brothers hatch a scheme to try and get their, their mother's power bill paid, which has to be done within 24 hours or her power gets cut off. So it sounds like a kind of nice little story there. And there's another joint Māori Cook Island film, um, and then another one that's set in Australia about um, Australia's sugar slaves. Uh, right, so it's a pretty wide spread yeah. uh, geographically and also yeah. stylistically. Yeah, yeah, very uh, as much far so. as a collection. But certainly, um, I mean, shorts are a really great way to kind of just get snippets of of lots of different styles and of storytelling in a kind of a quick fix package. So it's a, it's a nice way to kind of yeah engage with a, a range of different storytelling styles and a range of different um, contexts um, really quickly. So I think. It's, yeah, well, and with, well with getting to it. And, and also pragmatically, it's also support, supporting local artists yeah. because some of the money it does actually come back to them from screenings, which mm. is not always the case with all festivals and yeah. one of the nice things that um, New Zealand does. Um, my first pick is actually there's um, snuck away, there's a third collection of shorts in the Aotearoa program as well called uh, Spectral Visions. And um, the Aotearoa section isn't huge this year, um, no. although, I mean, the, the fact that the, both the opening film, Poye, and the centerpiece it's film, The Rehearsal, rehearsal or yeah. New Zealand, means that there's, you know, very large presence in terms of uh, um, prominence, but yeah. the sheer number of films isn't large. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a few things that are exciting. The Fifth Eye in particular looks to be uh, an exciting documentary. But Spectral Visions, and as, along with um, On an Unknown Beach, which is a feature by Adam Luxton and Summer yeah. Agnew that's an experimental film. But Spectral Visions is five experimental shorts. Uh, and, and most of them are by names that will be familiar to people who've been to the festival in previous years and dove into those waters. Uh, Gavin Hipkins, who had yeah. Erewhon a year or two ago, has, has a short in this. Phil Dadson, who had a biopic, I think, last year, um, excuse me, a, a documentary about his work, not a biopic, yeah. uh, has a short in it. And uh, Gabriel White, who did uh, Oracle Drive a few years back. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. The one I'm most excited about uh, is by a filmmaker named Alex Backhouse, who made a film called Unnatural History yeah. in 2014's uh, festival, which opened for uh, Enemy. So anyone who oh, yeah. saw that and remembers a strange little film about um, radio signals lost in the desert. It was sort of a science fiction fantasia driven by narration. And um, Explorer, which I've I've seen a rough cut of, um, uh, explores a similar uh, sort of mental space in a domestic setting, um, but with um, radio satellite um, star exploration going on in the background as well. Uh, And he's a really exciting voice. And I think um, it'll be a great program of left of beam filmmaking that anybody who's interested in the more art experimental side of what we have to offer as a country should very much check out another um thing that's special this year that is the in auckland in particular is the new expansion of the animation program and that's something that uh we went to a screening a week or two ago oh yeah and basically um long-term time festival goers will know about 
Animation Now, and that being the brand name yeah. for uh, Malcolm Turner's programming of the best selections. And uh, what's happened is now he's managed to get a whole four nights uh, with two programs a night at the Academy in the middle of the festival where there'll be collections of shorts. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there are quite a few um, standouts in the samples that we saw. Uh, there's one called Jazz Orgy, which is a one-minute yeah. um, sort of Kandinsky-inspired jazz geometric freeform uh, odyssey. Um, I was really fond of You, 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 oh, which yeah, is yeah. on the uh, black and white program. Yeah. It's a bit more abstract, hand-drawn, um, sort of faces and geometry yeah. coming in and out. It's really hard to encapsulate just, ju- just jumping into that on the it was really interesting hearing Malcolm t- t- talk about um, putting together um, the black and white section as a section sort of saying you know grouping films based on their color seems like yeah. an odd thing but he said um, previously with a couple of programs to, to to put your work into he said I think this year they had something like 600 submissions in black and white which were really like good 4300 overall yeah. or something yeah. and but and he said you can't really program more than one or two black and white shorts be- before it starts feeling unbalanced but yeah. the chance to put together an entire black and white set. And he said the way that you use black and white in an animator is quite different because there's a lot to do with um, hiding and revealing um, as colours sort of slip behind each other and, and mould. And it was, it was a really interesting use of that in this UUU, or how we pronounce it, UUU. Yeah, and I think, I think Wellington is actually getting UUU and the previous one that I mentioned, Jazz Orgy, as part of a collected animation now um, program, oh, right. but um, one they aren't getting, which is in uh, the Dark Heart section, is a uh, Blind Vaisha, oh, which yes. is a beautiful. Yeah. Um, uh, it has this sort of like woodprint sort of look Feel to good. it, yeah. like very ancient sort of woodprints, and it's about this girl who, with one eye sees the past and the other eye sees the future, um, and yeah, I, I I'm really impressed by the collection of aesthetics, and and not all of everything he programs is my cup of tea but I think that's I think it conversely I think he, it's something where there'll be a few uh, works in every single program which will grab people uh, and they, they'll never be the same one yeah. because some person's um, you know out there crazy thing is another person's kind of uh, not uncomfortable grotesquery and yeah. one person's limpid beauty is another person's boring yeah. so, uh, yeah. so that, that's all a bit of a trick um, one uh, other thing to note is um, that program in addition to the, sh- the um, general shorts collection has a shorts collection by Lewis Clark who's an American animator who's been working with collage art for oh. many years sort of um, you could almost think of him as a moving image Roy Lichtenstein or mm. something like that uh, and uh, his uh film, which is actually a collection of a series of shorts called 66, uh, is playing Wellington as well, but that's um, been a big highlight of the festival circuit for the past year uh, as, you know, having an avant-garde shorts maker break out to sort of feature length and having his work experienced like that. And, yeah. and, and in a, you know, such a um, vivid, bold kind of technique that he works in that it's actually reasonably approachable for people who might otherwise be put off by the avant-garde. Uh, yep. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's way up there for me. A couple of other little bits in the animation section that I, I generally end up visiting at least one of the animation for kids sections, and I'll probably yeah. take my youngest to to the young ones one for, I think it's 4 plus and 4 plus and 8 plus, yeah. Um, and they're usually, I mean, when you've got things like that that are done for kids, they're quite 
all over the place, quite joyful often, um, mm. quite investigative, but also, you know, like um, low on language so that they don't have to read a lot or, or, yeah. or listen to lots of really in-depth dialogue. So, but, but it makes for a very different viewing experience as an adult as well. It's quite... Yeah. quite uh, Exciting and yeah, that's one thing that's um, the Red Turtle that's playing this year, which mm-hmm. debuted at Cannes. I understand is a almost dialogue-free film, and that's um, the only reason I didn't put it on my top ten is because it's so at the front of the program that I um, uh, figured most people who are curious about it have seen that. That's the um, Studio Ghibli produced oh, yeah. um, film that's written by the director of Bird People. Yeah, um, oh. and it's a, but it's the first European produ- European Ferrin. directed. Yeah, yeah. Pascal Ferrin yeah. co-wrote it with a. Uh, Michael Duvet or something like that. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, but you were going to mention another animation, I yes, think. Yes, another um, one that I'm hoping to take my eldest daughter to, which is a feature-length one, is um, a film out of France, and well, produced out of France and Denmark, called uh, Long Way North. And the director is uh, Remy Shea, um, who I don't really know, except that um, he's credited as having worked on um, The Secret of Cal, which is the Tom Moore animation that played several years back, which was fantastic. That's the same guy who did Song of the yeah, Sea? Yeah, Song yeah. of the Sea was his follow-up, and Secret of Cal's was a previous one that was sort of set back in an Ionian sort of monastery about St. Patrick and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. fantastic animator and style. And so this guy having worked on that is, is a great sort of thumbs up to that right. and um, I tweeted it out and subsequently Tom Moore got back and said yeah he's he's doing great work right. so, <laughs> you know, co-signs yeah, is, uh... yeah. so he's on board with uh, with Remy's work as well but um, this is a, a story told up in um, far north Russia about a, a teenage girl who's um, sort of fighting against who's an aristocrat aristocrat, and is sort of fighting against the expectations that family are putting on her um, and trying to find her own way um, so that about a strong female character and I'm really excited to take my daughter to that and I think she'll really love it and we'll have a great time yeah. great and the animation style is somewhat similar to um, Tom Moore's not completely but uh, it's it's outside that standard what, what what's come to be seen as almost standard now Ghibli style which, right. which is fantastic but, but like, there are other ways of yeah, doing things yeah, yeah. And I quite enjoy finding the other ways. Yeah. Well, just even looking at the still, you can see like kind of the different approach to yeah. line work, where the colors actually define the space rather yeah. than lines. Yeah. Um, and that's that's something that's uh, for animation geeks. Like, mm. there's a lot to dig into. I mean, even just at the margins, there's films like Nuts and Tower, which yeah. are animated documentaries. Yeah. Um, Nuts looks fantastic, actually. And yeah. Eric Cohn from um, NDY gave it a real big thumbs up recently. But yeah. don't look into the subject. Don't yeah. Google the subject, but don't see the end. I was about to explain the story, but I'll let that go <laughs> in that case. Um, Towers in the Incredibly Strange section, it's the story of the shootings by Charles Whitman at the University of Texas oh, right. um, from the clock tower yeah. uh, there, which was the first mass shooting. So it's animated, I hadn't... Uh, partially animated, oh, okay. I think. So the recreation stuff yep. is animated. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and so you had another film in the uh, All Ages section that you were... Uh, quite excited about is that right yes um for um this one is just a bizarre kind of documentary um which is interesting for several reasons just out of the book i know nothing about the filmmaker it's called the eagle huntress okay i know nothing about the filmmaker otto bell um who this is the first um film that he appears to have worked on um as a as a writer and um director and, but it's a story of a young 13-year-old girl uh, from uh, kind of the border of um, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, um, who is uh, into falconry. She basically trains eagles um, because her father is a quite famous eagle trainer and uh, eagle hunter. But this is traditionally a, a pastime or a skill that is male only. Um, and so she is 
attempting to be the first girl accepted as an eagle huntress. Um, she's 13, she's trained under her father, apparently got great skills, and so the um, Otto's uh, obviously filmed her development of um, working with the birds in this like fantastic mountain setting in you know, Kazakhstan, Mongolia. Um, and and she's going into this um, local competition with over um, 70 other eagle hunters to try and sort of gain acceptance as the first girl in that sport or in that past or in that traditional kind of arena um have you seen Kiva the yellow dog no i haven't okay i played the festival about a decade ago it's in mongolian uh, oh yeah 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 i've heard of it uh, yeah Yeah. and and it's such a um beautiful landscape that i I suppose one of the advantages of those films is that even if yeah it doesn't fire for you on all cylinders (laughs) it's an extraordinary place um The other film that comes to mind is uh, Genghis Blues. Oh, okay. Have you seen that one? No, no. Uh, it's about a blind guy from San Francisco who d- goes to Tuva to um, compete in the throat singing contest. Oh, right. There. And uh, so it's it's a different sort yeah. of outsider documentary yeah. about, you know, rather than it being a young girl, it's an old bearded white guy. Yeah. But um, equally... Uh, <laughs> equally odd. Yeah. The, the other interesting point that I've got sort of splashed through the um, description here in the um, festival booklet is uh, the fact that it's executive produced so I guess it's been given some profile possibly some funding or at least putting their names to it co-signing it Uh, Morgan Spurlock the documentary maker who did um, the Super Size Me and all that kind of stuff the greatest movie ever ever sold Um, I'm not a great fan of his work necessarily, but interesting that his name's on there. <laughs> not either. No, but the other one, other interesting name attached to it is um, Daisy Ridley, right. um, who people will know from um, from the recent Star Wars Force Awakens film as right. Yeah, yeah, and so she's obviously, I, I don't know whether how she found out about it, maybe through her management or something, or yeah. whether the person um, contacted her as a young woman who's sort of forging her way into a kind of classic. Um, franchise yeah. and, and reinvigorating it for a, for a, a female audience. Yeah, I, I don't well, know. It's, about, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. So. It's interesting when when people get a um, touch of Hollywood power, what they choose mm. to do with it, and mm. because you know that that name will mean uh, obviously has meant something to you, will mean something yeah. to other people. And and um, I think about um, how somebody was talking about the recently deceased Anton Yelchin, who was in mm. Star Trek, and. Um, rather than purvey that into a series of blockbusters, he's like, I want to go work with John da- Dante. I want to go work with Michael Amareda. Yeah. Um, this is a slightly different thing where it's lending your imprimatur in the same sort of way that um, Steven Soderbergh would put his yeah. executive producer credit on Nikoi Katsi or yeah. Martin Scorsese presents. Lots yeah, of those or, or Werner Herzog and Errol Morris um, co-signing Joshua Oppenheimer's Oh, yeah, Act of Killing. killing yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so, I, I, so hopefully for an audience that... Um, is is starved for strong female stories of you know a certain age. Um, mm. Having Daisy Ridley's name on it may, will mean that it'll reach them in a way yeah. that otherwise a um, Mongolian eagle um, competition <laughs> documentary might not quite cut through. Yeah, so that that's looking pretty pretty interesting. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm very excited about that actually, and I'm I am thinking of possibly taking my daughter to see that as well. So yeah, cool. On the um, probably the other edge of the um, not for all ages. Uh, documentaries less in terms of um, in- inappropriate content than just to a p- uh, attention span yeah. <laughs> would be uh, Frederick Wiseman's uh, latest film in Jackson Heights. Um, What's the running time on this one? Uh, 180 minutes. Pretty, <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, nice svelte trim tone yeah. film yeah, yeah. after at Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I 
feel very strongly having watched at Berkeley and having yeah. watched National Gallery and La Dance and Boxing Gym and, and, and Boxing Gym is a shorter film it's 98 minutes as, oh, yeah. as well as some of his older ones um, and he finds a length that merits the treatment yeah. of the institution I mean yeah. for those who haven't seen a Frederick Wiseman documentary he picks essentially this is interesting because I think it's his first where he's picked a as a neighborhood. neighborhood, yeah, yeah, and it's and that's um, so Jackson Heights is a neighborhood. It's in New York? A, it, yeah, it's I believe a neighborhood in Queens, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, either Queens or Brooklyn, and um, very strongly multi-ethnic neighborhood. Um, he, and he follows city politics. He follows um, interesting locals. Apparently, there's a fellow who does a driving education course that's the um, show stealer of the whole film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he's really interested in how institutions work be they a uh, private business like crazy horse or boxing gym or you know he's done these films like high school um or uh, basic training which is his army film which right. from way back in the early days uh and so he puts them together in sort of this mosaic assembly uh which doesn't necessarily have a, a linear straight through pattern but it's not it's not abstract or anything. No. It's just like, here's a scene, here's another scene, here's another scene. And it's for you as the viewer to think about how they fit together. There's not a voiceover that's going to tell you, no. oh, and then this is what happened. Because it's not about, and then it's about how the system works. That Which sounds really dry. And the, the things that elevate it from feeling very dry, I think, are partially his um, eye for observing interesting characters and moments. Yeah. Um, but also just... Um, his sense of editing and rhythm, and that's um, yeah. the, the the extent to which that's in the forefront varies depending on the film. Like Boxing Gym took great advantage of that because there's so much rhythmic activity in a boxing yeah. gym, and so um, you had these nice breathing spaces of people hitting bags and stuff between these little you know discussions between people in the locker room or you know calling people on the phone about um, unpaid bills or whatever, uh, and so that's. I, I find that you if you just go in with the expectation that it's not you're not getting on the narrative boat, but that you're you're exploring this space and these set of ideas, the running time just kind of f- yeah. fades away what, pretty quickly. As someone who I've I leapt into Frederick Wiseman a couple of years ago into at Berkeley, so that's <laughs> a little little around four hours. Yeah, um, and that was my first Wiseman experience. I was just transfixed the entire time. I didn't right. feel the runtime. When it finished, I was surprised. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's based at um, UC Berkeley. Um, it's kind of famous for political protests and stuff. And, and he gives none of the background for that kind of thing, but he really draws out the history of it and the way that they're responding to things nowadays with um, footage of student protests and the admin responding to that, but also kind of going, yeah, this is part of our history and, 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 and not sort of denigrating the students, but going, yeah, how can we kind of facilitate this to a degree, um, but still keep people and property safe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's that, fantastic. And, yeah, and that's, I think you get a finer sense of the detail within the decisions of an institution, whereas yeah. too often institutions are demonized and genericized in yeah. how they're approached. Um, uh, from going from an old classic filmmaker to a dead classic filmmaker, um, there's a lot of retrospective titles yes. this year that are pretty exciting. And, you know, I could have picked um, Tokyo Story or um, A Touch of Zen, which I've never seen that I'm very much looking forward to. 
Um, I've had Tokyo but, Story sitting on my shelf um, <laughs> and, and, and DVD for so long. I need to get around to watching it. I think it's one of those things where I was like, oh, do I have three hours right now? Uh, Tokyo Story is not long. Isn't it? I thought it was No, quite... it's like 98 minutes or uh-huh. something. Uh-huh. Um, you're thinking of something else. But um, for me, the... Um, 136 minutes. 136. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, a little, it's a little long. It's not that long. But um, <laughs> the real special uh, event this year is Chimes at Midnight, mm. which is Orson Welles... Um, multi-play uh, Shakespeare adaptation. Oh, it covers yeah. Henry the Fourth, uh, Henry V, Richard II, and Mary Wives of Windsor. Uh, and uh, obviously, I, I feel like I'm being insulting by even saying, obviously, Orson Welles, director of Citizen Kane. But um, also, I mean, everything from F, Touch of Evil, F for Fake, yeah. um, The Stranger, uh, Lady from Shanghai, which I think played just the other year. Um, but this is a holy grail, quite right up there with the missing footage from the Magnificent Ambersons because it's been long unavailable on home video except Mm. for like the occasional very terrible um, public domain thing that floats out there and people thought that it was just a lost film and then last year somebody found a pristine 35mm print of it and so I've been waiting pretty much my entire cinephile life to see what's supposed to be one of Orson Welles' uh, highest achievements um, and I'm pretty darn excited to be able to see it on the Civic screen. Yeah. Um, with Orson Welles on screen as well as uh, Falstaff and um, John Gielgud as Henry IV. So, um, I mean, I'm not a huge Shakespeare guy, to be completely honest, um, but it's Welles that'll get me yeah, yeah, yeah. in the theater. Well, that's that kind of stuff you just live for, you know, where, yeah. where lost things reappear, and oh, that's pretty fantastic. I, I'm, I'm always a fan of trying to catch at least one retro, and I feel like I'd love to catch several here. Um, um, a touch of Zen, as you said. There's a couple of westerns, and often there's a western or two, and in the past I've sort of tried mm. to catch at least one um, because I I saw lots of them when I was young on TV. Um, and, and there's been some great ones over the years, like yeah. The Hired Hand and The Man from yeah, Laramie. Yeah, Man from Laramie, which yeah. was another Nicholas Ray, wasn't it? That I yeah. Caught, yeah. So there's another Nicholas Ray one this year, Johnny Guitar, which I'm really keen to see because I haven't seen it. One of the ones that I have seen, which I would highly recommend and I would love to see on, on, on the, um, the Civic screen, um, is McCabe and Mrs. Miller. So this is Robert right. Altman's um, 1971 kind of classic thing it was shot up in in canada i think um and it was sort of mired in a little bit of controversy at the time um stars warren Beatty, who is not someone i'm particularly excited about um and julie christie who's pretty cool it's also got um renee i renee aubergine he played clayton and benson right <laughs> which i remember from my childhood and he's also in um certain women as well this year um but it's the story of um of Julie Christie plays a, a kind of a madam who goes to set up uh, her own sort of special brothel, um, and and um, Beatty's character, who is basically trying, goes to this new town that's being built, and and is trying to find his way, and he sort of joins up with um, Julie Christie's character, and and he's a bit of a gambler, and yeah, it's just it's in some ways, and I think they mention in the write up that there was a, a a debt of gratitude from Deadwood creator to to um, right. Robert Altman for this because um, there are some similarities in terms of like a developing little township um, that's built up on sort of local mining and then a big company comes in and tries to sort of turn all the resources their way and sort of starts threatening with guns and stuff and, and yeah. so it turns to sort of a violent play but it, it's a fantastically written film great characterizations and not yet and it's like set up in a snowy sort of place and that's a, uh, it's a snowy westerns are a favorite yeah. of mine yeah. and um I, I love mccabe and mrs miller the great silence is another yeah. one that's um and you know those um 
there's some scenes in uh, Django Unchained, actually, yeah. in the snow. And, of course, oh, the light. Hateful yeah. Eight just yeah. takes entire place there. Um, yeah, that should be a particularly strong one. Yeah, um, and, it, and it's, 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 a, it's built for the big screen. It's yeah. really fantastic cinematography and beautiful yeah. locations. And yeah. Yeah, um, and Vil- Vilmos Vigand is the uh, cinematographer yeah, who's a yeah. uh, legend. Um, now, speaking of things that are beautiful on the big screen, a couple uh, a week, few weeks ago, you introduced me to the Majesty of Terence Davies, yes. who um, I had been unfamiliar with and kind of ignoring. Well, I think um, both of us actually. Um, yeah. My Terence Davies um, experience at that point had been primarily um, Deep Blue Sea, which I hated really didn't like right. and that was the um tom hiddleston and i can't remember who the actress was uh, set sort of around world war one in, in the uk and yeah it, it was all kind of soft focus and very kind of and i really wasn't that into it but i'd heard really good things about um his uh his documentary about um time in the city yeah um and so i thought oh well maybe i should give um this uh f- film a look um one of his older ones which was the long day closes yeah long day closes um which was so beautiful the use of light in that film was insane um and and i could see that he that the techniques he used in that were reused to some degree in um in deep blue sea but the way he applied them in long day closes yeah, it was it was just a beautiful story about a young boy sort of finding trying to find a sense of himself in an impoverished post-war um, working city. Um, Very poetic and yeah. and backgrounds the um, um, bullshit that you get yeah. so often in biopics. Yeah, um, uh, and we're we're not just going on a rant here because he's actually relevant because yeah. he's coming to New Zealand. Yeah, he's coming for two, and he's got two films in this one. So the Sunset Song, which is getting a, which is a, a, a story of um, uh, set in Scotland, uh, a period piece, um, and it's getting great reviews out of um, critics overseas from yep. from um, various uh, festivals that it's been at, and. Um, the, but the other one that I want to talk about is A Quiet Passion, which is a story about Emily Dickinson, poet Emily Dickinson. Now, that's a name that I hear come up all the time, referenced, and I virtually know nothing about her. So I'm really keen to see it, partially because I'm now a Terence Davies convert. Yeah. Um, it's this um, um, poet and writer that I keep hearing about in all sorts of references. Um, is Emily Dickinson not really dis- like part of the um, the New Zealand curriculum? Because she's part of the American curriculum. No. Everybody well, at least I, did, I didn't study her. I, I, like, okay. I've heard of her, but I've never read anything yeah. by her. Um, right. And that's my own... Like, I'm not big into poetry, but I, like I did seventh form English here and we didn't study Emily Dickinson. So. Okay. Um, Interesting. We did New Zealand short... Film. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't <laughs> read any Janet Frame, so there yeah, yeah. you go. Um, yeah, but so he's done this, and it's it's just look, looks to be uh, a, a kind of a passion project, and and I I think he'll do a really great job of it. Uh, but it's got some actors and actresses in it that I'm really interested in as well. Um, one of my faves, Jennifer Eel, um, yeah. plays uh, the role of Emily's um, younger sister, I think, um, in this, um, and uh, and uh, Emily is played by. Cynthia Nixon and Keith Who's Carradine amazing in and James White. Yeah, yeah, uh, which I am going to see soon. Okay, I believe I have a disc. Oh, good, coming to me. Excellent. Um, so I'm very excited to see that. It's but yeah, so Quiet Passion looks like it'll be a period piece, which I, I really generally really love with some actors that I really love and a director who I know yeah. can just do fantastic work with 
complexity. Yeah, and 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 definitely takes advantage of this big screen canvas yeah. as well in terms of the yeah. beauty of his imagery. Yeah. Um, I am looking forward to a film by a different old man. Um, I actually I don't know how old Terrence Davies is. I think he's old. But um, yeah, I guarantee that uh, it seems like he would be. Like, he, yeah, yeah, because he's sitting, he grew up in the fifties, and yeah, I think he's in his seventies. But um, even older and yet spiritually much younger is Alejandro Jodorowsky, mm. who um, is the madman behind Holy, Holy Mountain, Mountain yeah. El Topo, Topo, Santa Sangre, um, and in this uh, phase of his career, as he's entering his eighties, uh, he well, he's well into them now. I think he's eighty-four. Um, he's working on a quartet. Of biopics about his life and so dance um, reality the dance of reality which played a few years ago at Enzif was the uh, first one uh, and now he's got his follow-up endless poetry and endless poetry uh, has the additional advantage of being uh, lensed by uh, Christopher Doyle oh okay so this wow. this is this is sort of late teens into 20s and 30s of his life I believe um, uh, of, his son actually plays the um, plays him yeah Yeah. in that so that's uh, or maybe even his grandson I've I've lost track I think it's his son is it his son okay Um, because I want him to be quite old for him to have a son on the other hand I think he's the sort of guy who had kids quite old yeah so um, (laughs) yeah um, The Dream of Reality was a strange film in that it started with this terrible CGI and he was talking to camera and it seemed like one of the worst movies I'd ever seen (laughs) and somehow by the end it was fantastic despite the fact that it still had all those problems because somehow the the plasticity of him making it and the um, the making the artifice very much part Mm. of the surface is part of the appeal and part of the hyper reality of all of that you know it's yeah. it's very raised elevated not in an intellectual just in an intensity form of filmmaking that would come off as pretentious if it didn't seem so deeply personal mm. and 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 I don't often fall for that sort of filmmaking but with him I really do um, that, and that debuted at Cannes this year. Um, another film that debuted at Cannes that yep. I'm super and excited about. Um, sorry, what you, are you not? Yeah, it was um, Kleberman Donka's Fijo's newest film, Aquarius. And um, what some, was the one that he did a couple of years ago? Neighboring Sounds. Oh yes, and um, Neighboring Sounds was um, is a very promising debut that set in the neighborhood of Recife in Brazil. Yeah, and um, what was really commendable about it was um, just his use of natural locations, his use of non-professional actors, and then yeah. blending in other people that seemed like that, and also his just in- intense attention to craft and sound design, and the rhythms of the film were really strong and seductive, mm. and um, it fell apart for me a little bit narratively near the end, but um, it was just very much like, wow, this guy's first film is better than a lot of people's sixth or tenth film. Yeah. And uh, Aquarius has now... Uh, trumped that um, by it just won the award at Sydney Film Festival uh, for best in that competition Um, the lead actress Sonia Braga has um, been winning all sorts of plaudits for her role basically she plays an older lady in an apartment complex that's being asked to leave Um, but I think there's something a bit more um, uh, people are being very cagey about how they talk about this film, um, and how, to the extent whether it's a memory piece or something more science fiction-y, hmm. um, and what goes on in terms of her experience of life through this. Um, and I don't really want to know much. I just want to go in and experience that on the big screen. And, and thankfully, it's got the Civic, and it should be um, a really strong trip with a really 
um, strong core character that will hopefully bring people who might otherwise struggle with some of the stylistic um, with cinema that's just pure okay. style. Um, hopefully, it'll be a film that balances those two poles nicely. Mm. So, um, I uh, guess you, know, you have a film, yeah, quite a can by yeah, an, an, favorite. Yeah, another another award winning film and filmmaker. Um, in the in the I guess the sort of more recent auteur train. Um, it's a filmmaker who you're not exactly the the biggest <laughs> fan of, but who uh, a lot of people really love is um, Asghar Fahadi, who's got yeah. to who, of a separation fame. Um, and the got, past, which I yeah, actually the past, liked a bit which is really good. Yeah. Um, so this film, The Salesman, this year. Um, I mean, he's a guy to a degree. He reminds me a little bit of um, how you really love. Hung San Su, right? Um, who explores kind of the same themes over and over again in slightly different settings, um, but it's really interesting to see him dig into those themes. Yeah. Um, and so Fahadi really is looking at at um, socio political mores, um, so religious mores and social mores from his um, from his own culture, but but that do kind of they generalize quite well actually. Yeah. Um, in fantastically written melodrama, and I mean, yes, it's very written, and and he makes no attempt to to show that his work's not sort of staged and written, but it, but it's so beautifully constructed, and and the the interactions are very very, they're intense, they're rich, they're yelly. <laughs> yeah, there is there is a lot of yelling, and some of that I think is cultural, um, and. But 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 he he strikes up like okay there's a bunch of situations that come up and I'm sure it's the perfect storm of someone doesn't communicate something that if they'd communicated it would have been really yeah. useful um, but, which is kind of the core of a lot of yeah, drama yeah it's a lot of fair. drama but yeah. but the way that he puts them together and the human responses that he gets to these situations are very real they're very intense and they're very kind of insightful in exploring sort of deeper um, cult, the surrounding culture and the surrounding legal and religious frameworks that he lives in, but also that we we also find ourselves in. Yeah. Um, so this one, he's the salesman, he, he's going back to Iran, um, and he is uh, focusing on a couple where the, the wife um, thinks her husband's home, goes to let him in, turns out to be a salesman, and there's this awkward cultural-religious that happens and then that triggers sort of some passion a passionate kind of over response from the husband right. um, the salesman plays off the fact that it's um, the husband and wife are both working on a production of Death of the Salesman and so it's sort of referencing that what brings that in yeah, as a meta as a meta kind level. of it's interesting that that's a text that would have yeah. resonance in yeah. uh, or presence in Iran yeah so yeah it's interesting to see those things filtered through another culture and then yeah yeah well I mean because I mean Arthur Miller was very much writing about the kind of um, the whole uh, uh, period of time where you know, communism was seen as the big Wah! you know look out yeah. for the red scare kind of thing, um, and McCarthy's sort of fears. Um, and but I mean the the level of state control in Iran and the changes that it's seen from quite an intellectual liberal society that then got overtaken by a very um, sort of draconian religious um yeah power oh, oh okay yeah, yeah. was uh, it has some has some strong some parallels. strong parallels sure yeah um yeah so uh, i mean if anything he's 
the guy has shown through right from the start, really, or, or from f- at least um, about Ali yeah. onwards, or I would say Fireworks Wednesday onwards, his two earlier films, a little bit kind of odd um, and sort of finding his feet, but f- about Ali onwards, uh, yeah. or Fireworks Wednesday onwards, really has shown that he is a great writer of character and melodrama, um, and so The Salesman will be a film that kind of gets you on the edge of your seat watching it um, and will do some really interesting exploration. And I'm just pretty... <laughs> Re- re- I'm excited to be yelled at ready. by, uh, yeah. <laughs> by, well, by I'll, director. I'll, I'll, I'll I probably won't see it at the festival, but I'll give it a go if I get yeah. a chance because he has been growing on me. And, mm. you know, I mean, everybody else loved a separation besides me, so I don't think anyone else needs convincing. But, yeah. um, but the past was a step yeah. forward for me, so mm. uh, I'll be interested to see that. Now, um, there's another... Yeah. Uh, Another controversial filmmaker <laughs> who is kind of a bit hit and miss at times. Um, so, has he got two films in the special? No. So, Werner, Werner, Herzog, Werner Herzog is who we're talking about. And, in yeah. fact, a friend of mine just saw Queen of the Desert last night and was oh, holding, right, yes. holding his head in his hands. Yes, yeah, and so, so, that one wasn't selected for festival. No. But probably he, not coincidentally. Herzog, who, who sort of has a dual role working in, in fiction filmmaking and documentary. Um, and he's one of the few filmmakers who's made who's done made great leaps and bounds and, and really been successful in both of those areas yeah. um, has a, his new documentary Lo and Behold The Reveries of the Connected World or Reveries of the Connected World so I mean he's looking at, at the internet at, at modern online culture uh, and and Herzog always brings this kind of this sort of overlay of doomsday kind of yeah. soothsaying and Philosophization. I mean, some people, some of the people have seen like Encounters at the End of the World yeah. or uh, The Wild Blue Yonder the Wild would Blue be Yonder a, Yonder a great example, example of him going into the scientific world yeah. and coming back with unexpected things, yeah. the White Diamond. Yeah. And so so it, it'll be an interesting, a bizarre perspective on the, the tech realities of today um, with kind of pseudo philosophical ramblings. Yeah. And, and if anything, I, I just want to hear him wax philosophical about the internet and yeah <laughs> and 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 the you know the mankind dispersing himself into nothing or you know yeah. whatever he's going to say yeah he's um it's, it's he's a funny character because he's sort of become a brand and almost a cliche yeah. now you know it's uh, and i i think he's to some extent maybe become self-aware of that but he yeah. does have a an uncanny um, ability to find interesting subjects yeah. and people to talk to and get elicit things from them and just hearing his very specific tones yeah. as he narrates between his topics and gives his very peculiar choice of adjectives <laughs> that somehow lodge in one's brain is a real pleasure. And uh, I mean, I uh, loved Cave for Forgotten Dreams, which was about the the discovery of the Chauvet Caves in France that yeah, yeah. have some of the oldest human cave art yeah. found and that bizarre little fabricated section where he waxes lyrical about the albino crocodiles oh, I watched right. that on repeat on YouTube with my kids they love it as well uh, I, I love yeah. that stuff I, I think my favourite recent one was in Encounters at the End of the World where it's like she proceeded to tell a long and very dull story. <laughs> <laughs> Way to build a, a rapport with your... Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, in connections that have nothing to do but the letters L-O. Actually, that's not quite true. Um, another um, uh, European master, actually, mm. is hidden in the fresh section of all things. There's oh, a program right. called Lovesick Shorts um, yeah. uh, that features six 
uh, films about love, and okay. five of them I know absolutely nothing about, nothing about the filmmakers. Oh, yes, um, the sixth, however, may be the best film of the festival. Uh, Peter Sherkowski is an Austrian filmmaker who works with processed um, 35mm, and uh, his most famous film is a film called Outer Space, which took a scene from The Entity, the um, horror film, uh, where Barbara Hershey is assaulted by a ghost, and reprocessed it in a way that it becomes this experimental assault where the very film itself is breaking apart, um, you know, the edges of film, the film itself come into frame and out of it, and um, it zoomed in and out, and the soundtrack does bizarre things. And basically it's just like these these short 10 to 15 minute, I, I, I've heard the word seance is almost described to them, where it resurrects the film and brings it back as a oh, wow. haunting or a visitation. Um, in 2006, Instructions for a Light and Sound Machine played, which recast the... Um, this shootout at the end of The Good, The Bad, The Ugly mm. as sort of this existential netherworld. Um, this new one is his take on sex. <laughs> and I don't know what that's going to translate to, but it um, will be unforgettable and visceral and um, he'll be repurposing old imagery and I don't Coming know the year what he'll the be doing plate. with it. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, <laughs> doing his own thing. So, um, so that's a real highlight for me. Um, going to the back of the book, there's a yep. lot of great things in the incredibly strange section, and uh, my uh, there's a lot of things I could single out as picks or, or of interest. Um, but the one I'm going to go with is Operation Avalanche, yeah. which is a mockumentary um, about the uh, Apollo moon landing. Uh, oh, and, yes, yes. Um, that somehow the filmmakers have then actually managed to shoot some of it actually at NASA. So wow. it's okay. um, cleverly becomes this uh, sort of falling down the rabbit hole mockumentary, documentary, mockumentary, documentary, and you don't know where the bottom is. So, so they reference um, the idea that, that was re- mentioned in Room 237. That, uh, about that Kubrick. Kubrick was uh, responsible uh, for faking the moon landing well, well, it's, it's alluded to in the notes here. Oh, yeah. I haven't actually seen uh, the film, but uh, the filmmakers did a film called The Dirties a couple of years back that was another found footage. Mm. Uh, it was a found footage film. And so they're obviously like working in this mode, yeah. which I know a lot of people are very sick of. Yeah. But I do think for people who actually embrace the conceit, there's a lot that can still be done yeah. with this. And um, so I think Operation Avalanche is going to be uh, one of the few films that might be quite funny as well as, um, you know, very intellectually engaging as trying to work out all these different layers of reality mm. and fossicking through that, mm-hmm. which is something I'm really into. And you have an incredibly strange pick as well? Yes, yes. Um, I have one uh, that um, landed on the site early as a, as a kind of a sneak, uh, NZI fifth sneak, which is the lure, which comes out of Poland. And this is, um, described, <laughs> well, it's, it's got a, 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 some sort of vampire mermaid. And so it's like, you know, some sort of twisted Disney mermaid feature. <laughs> um, and living in a house with a couple of, um, young girls, I get a lot of, um, a lot of Disney films. A lot of um, mermaid culture. Oh, yeah. Don't yeah. take them to this we, one. It's R16. <laughs> one of my daughters has has an electric, you know, toothbrush with um, with Ariel on it. Um, yeah. So I won't take them to this. Right. But, but I, I, I do like um, fairy tales. And actually, my um, eldest daughter, Emily, and I have been reading 
we sort of had been reading through an, an old collection, um, an old printed collection of Grimm's fairy tales, their, their original tales, which are weird as all hell. Right. Um, yeah, like when you look at the actual the actual <laughs> Grimm's tales, there there's some just bizarre shit, and and the stories are you know not like the disnified versions. They're sometimes violent, sometimes weird. Um, characters act in ways that you just go, why the hell would you do this, and why would we? Why would we hold this up later on as a, as a character to look up to? You know, yeah, yeah. it's really strange. So, it's um, this is apparently v- very kind of thinly va- based on a Hans Christian Andersen fable. Um, actually, it, it does the sort of the premise of this um, of this uh, mermaid and luring um, sort of men in and stuff like that. It reminds me of there's a Canadian television show called Lost Girl, which I it's finished now, I think. Um, and, but I, my, Melissa and I watched it um, right through. Which is about um, the Fey world um, intersecting with the human world, and it's it's basically a procedural, but with um, the main character being a succubus um, who um, sort of is fighting against her her what they would call her true nature to, to not just go around randomly um, sexing up guys and killing them, right. but to sort of be a you know be a little less death dealing, and and it makes me think of an, an episode of of Lost Girl that's sort of been spooled out with much better right. and, and, and a weirder thing. But I, I think it'll be um, fantastically odd, and and the idea of like adult fairy tales, like Tale of Tales, played um, yeah, last year, year, last year yeah. uh, or the year before, I can't remember exactly when. Um, but it wasn't everyone's cup of tea, and I mean that mixed several, several fable, old fables into uh, sort of more modern yeah. tellings and. I actually really enjoyed the kind of the the grossness, the garishness of some of that stuff, and I, I really like when these tales are put in adult context. But I think it, actually the original ones were a lot in adult context, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, for me, it just sold by the use of the word "utterly batshit" in the, <laughs> <laughs> in the description. Um, well, we've gotten to the end of the book, so that's probably um, we've covered quite a lot of ground there. Yeah. So I think that's. Um, a good number of titles for people to uh, yeah. take away and think about. And um, we'll be back, probably do a wrap-up of this at the end of the festival. Yeah, yeah, we when we're kind actually of... actually share notes on what we've properly seen to... Uh, and we're a bit kind of wigged out in, in, in mind and in body. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so have a great festival. Yeah, and get into it. Yeah. And uh, till next time, this is Doug. This is Jacob. And this is Best Worst Podcast. Cheers. Mm-hmm.